welcome Nexus Church family online to our series in the book of Mark that's self-titled. In the series, we're exploring the life of Jesus and applying it to our personal lives. If you have more questions or if you would like to get a hold of us, go to nexuschurchmn.com. You can find all the information on there as well as emailing nexuschurchmn at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook, but we'd love to connect with you and help you to connect to Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to another week in our series in the book of Mark, where we're discovering the life of Jesus and applying it to our personal lives. Last week, we examined this interesting story of the fig trees, kind of sandwiched on the outside of this story of Jesus flipping tables, and we examined what impacts or influences a move of God. And now this week, we're going to continue on in this adventure towards the cross where Jesus ultimately gives his life up for all of humankind so that we could have connection with God. And this week, it's going to get really (laughs) in the weeds, if you will. This is where Jesus gets dirty with the religious elite. This is really where that, that deciding factor of what they are about to do really comes to a head. You see, Jesus, he confronts them head on in this passage with their hard hearts. They had so distanced themselves from the voice of God that they could no longer even come close to the truth of who God is, his mercy, his grace, his love, his forgiveness. They had so hardened their hearts to that that they could no longer even be in the presence of one who embodied that. And so we're going to examine for ourselves from that passage, how do we continue to hear the voice of God and not become like the religious elite? And so let's begin by reading this passage found in Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through Mark chapter 12, verses 12. They came to Jerusalem, right? Jesus had been going back and forth between Bethany and Jerusalem. Uh, At night, he would stay in Bethany, kind of a little safe haven from all of the crazies who were out to get him. And then he'd come back during the day to teach. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came. Like, this was This was the cream of the crop for the religious elite. This was the the trifecta right here coming to really corner him. And they asked him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? Right, he continually spoke as one who was sent directly from God. Now in their worldview, there could be nobody who was a direct send from God. You had to be under somebody's teaching that was there, right? The, the prophets were no longer welcome, if you will. They had really rejected it. And of course, we'll see this in just a moment where they had already, in a sense, rejected John the Baptist, the last prophet to be sent. And so they wanted to know, Jesus, where's your authority coming from? 
even though he had told them many times, my authority comes from the Father who sent me. They had none of that. Continuing on in verse 29. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was John, John's baptism from heaven or from human origin? Answer me. They're in quite a predicament here. Listen to their response. They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say, then why didn't you believe him? Right? It went contrary to what they believed. We can't say from heaven because that's not what we agreed to believe. So we can't say that. But if we say of human origin, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John truly was a prophet. They'd even rejected John as a prophet. And so they knew that they couldn't say you know, he was a prophet because then they knew exactly what Jesus was going to come back with. And then if they said he wasn't, then everybody would come against them and not trust them or believe them anymore because they were totally in agreement that John truly was a prophet from God. And so they said, we don't know. What an answer. Like Jesus once again got them. He cornered them. They had no answer. This is over and over again. Their, their wisdom continued to be confounded by Jesus. And they were humiliated, which just further angered them, right? Like their, their just anger was at a peak at this point. Well, Jesus isn't done yet, right? Like he, he is just totally getting them here. What? Why, guys, do you continue to go against God? Right? I love how David Guzik put it in his commentary. He said, if John really was from God, then he was right about Jesus. Get that? Because what did, what did John continue to do? And this, this is exactly what really was underneath it all. John continually pointed to Jesus as the Messiah said, look, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. John knew it. He proclaimed it. The people received it. The religious elite rejected it. So if he was right about Jesus and Jesus was indeed the Messiah, if what John said was true, then Jesus had all authority. He had all authority. And They didn't want to believe John the Baptist. They didn't want to believe Jesus. They had their preconceived knowledge that they thought was absolute truth based upon their own laws and rituals. They had their own laws that were in addition to what the Bible said. In fact, they, they held them high or even higher than God's own word. Jesus is just, he, he had enough. And he brings out a story that we'll go and examine in just a moment found in Isaiah. But he goes into this story, this parable, we call it. A made-up story to teach a very important truth. And he directed it right at them. Verse 
1 of chapter 12. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a vent fence around it, dug out a pit for a wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. He built this beautiful place, and he went away. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from them. They took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant to them. And they hit him on the head and treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and they killed that one. He also sent many others. Some they beat, and others they killed. But still had one more to send, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said to one, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him. An inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him into the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill the farmers and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read in Scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is wonderful in our eyes. At that, they were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they left him and went away. And if they get done with this, this interaction with Jesus of prove to us what authority do you have, and Jesus turns it on them and asks them a question that they had no answer for. And as he looks at them and their denial of John the Baptist and all the prophets that go before him, as he looks into their eyes and he knows ultimately what is about to happen with their absolute rejection of him as the Son of God, he tells them this story. Now this story has some important aspects to it because it points back to the book of Isaiah where Isaiah talks about this exact same scenario. I can't believe that they didn't understand it fully. They knew exactly what Jesus was pointing to but they didn't put it on themselves. They were so rejecting of God's truth that they couldn't hear it for themselves. They stopped listening so long ago. They rejected the voice of God. Let's take a look at this passage. This is found in Isaiah chapter 5. And Isaiah, of course, is a ton of prophecies about the Messiah that was about to come. And in this passage we see a, a few parallel things that Jesus referred to in his story. Let's read it, and then we'll tie some pieces together. We read Isaiah 5, verse 1. I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I have loved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. He expected it to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless grapes. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, right? What was he talking about? What was, what was this, this vineyard? This was the land of Israel. 
The land of Israel was God's chosen land, its chosen nation, and he created it to do good things, to proclaim his glory to all the nations around the world, to, to show them what good God is. And they didn't produce. So now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why? When I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now I will tell you what I'm about to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. I will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds and rain should not fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He expected justice, but saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but he heard cries of despair. They had rejected God's word. And they had rejected what he said for them to do. They did two evils. Denied God's word. Denied what he asked of them to do. And there's a couple of other important things to understand about this passage. Is God placed in charge of that vineyard caretakers. Or as we read in Jesus' account, tenants, tenants to take care of that crop, of that vineyard. Those caretakers were the religious elites, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They were to take care, and they chose to get power and to lord it over others and, and lead inappropriately not according to God's word, but according to their own ways. They put their own wisdom, their own knowledge, their own flesh before God. And the religious elites understood what Jesus was doing. And they also understood that this unnamed owner of this field was indeed God. They knew, going back to Isaiah 5, that that's exactly what Jesus was referring to they were the ones that would ultimately be rejected. Them and those they cared for would receive the ultimate rejection. God would kick them out. And in place, he would put others to take care of. This was so against everything in Judaism, right? They expected the Messiah to come in, and the Messiah would establish his, his rule on earth, and he would have his power go out and cover all of this earth, and everybody would be subject to him. And that's not what Jesus was here for. He was here to save all people, to bring them all into his presence and not rule over them, but to love over them, to care for them, to bring them in and to have relationship again. And they had switched it up. They missed it. And they were enraged. And then Jesus, of course, ends it with a quote from 
Psalm 118, where he called out that this rejected one, me, that you're about to kill and about to hang up on a cross has now become the one that is the cornerstone where a new covenant will be established. A new way of God relating to man is established. And upon that rock, upon Jesus, there will be salvation available for all. For all. He became the cornerstone. Now as I was preparing this message and thinking about how sad it, it is that the nation of Israel missed it and that their leaders, the elites, absolutely was so hard that they couldn't even hear the truth behind it. Like, how did they miss it? How did they get so far removed that they, they didn't see the parallels? It was so clear. It was so obvious. Like, we read it today, and it's like, how did you miss it? Like, couldn't have been any clearer. And then I started thinking, how have we missed God's voice? Have I had the opportunity to hear God speak to me and I've missed it? Whether I was too busy or I was too hard-hearted, I had preconceived ideas in my head and I wasn't willing to hear God myself. We all have areas where we miss. Like Romans 3.23 is just the perfect summarization of it. We all sin. We all fall short of God's standard. And so my heart for, for you, for me today is I don't want to miss when God speaks to me. I don't want to end up in that place like these religious elites where they, they totally missed an opportunity to welcome in the Messiah that would save them, bring them freedom, bring them joy, bring them peace that they had so longed for, but that they had missed because they had rejected for so long. They had, they had become at this point where they trusted in their own ideologies more than God's. And I think it's something that we as Americans and as Christians in, in this Western world must really ask ourselves is, is there things in our mind that are blocking out God's voice? Is there something inside of me that's keeping God from getting through to me? And so for this brief remaining time that we have together today, I want to investigate this voice of God. How do we stay away from where the religious elite ended and stay connected to the one who wants to speak so personally and deeply into our lives and have such great relationship and connection with us? And so today I want to begin by stating the obvious, the foundational thing that we must abide by and do in our lives if we want to hear from God, if we want that connection with God's voice is we need to believe the Bible and spend time in it. We, we know that 
that the religious elite had all these laws and all these rules, and, and we have accounts of them, how they would follow everything so strict and, and so intimately. Like, there was just this connection between them and their laws that they practiced so diligently. But as we read in the prophets and, and their, in Jesus' interaction with these elites, they had lost God's word in the process. They had got caught up in their own ideologies instead of Jesus and his word. Jeremiah 6.10 perfectly explains the hearts of the elite. Now, this was, of course, Jeremiah being inspired by God speaking to him to write to these people so that they could hear God's truth. And God said to him, To whom can I give warning? Who will listen when I speak? There, that is the religious elites, ears are closed and they cannot hear. They scorn the word of the Lord. They don't want to listen at all. They have absolutely rejected it. They don't care about it. And so first and foremost, before we do anything else, we have to believe that what we read in this book, the Bible, is accurate, is truthful, it is for us, and it's God's way of getting right into our hearts. If this was the only way that he spoke to us, it would be sufficient for us. Hebrews 4.12, put it this way. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than any sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It's living. It's powerful. It's still alive today for you to hear it and to receive it as if it was directly from God. Likewise, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God. Again, going back to the fact that it is at the base from God. It is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It's inspired. It teaches, it corrects, it prepares, it equips us to live according to God's way. I want to tell you so clear today, hearing God's voice begins in his word, the Bible. If you want to hear God's voice, if you want to have a connection with him, if you felt like, man, I haven't heard from God for a long time, when have you spent time reading his word? How much are you reading his word? And not just reading it to read it, but to, to process it, to let it sink into your soul and to speak to you. And for you to, to dissect it apart inside of yourself and say, where, where does that affect me? Now I get there's a lot in the Bible and sometimes it doesn't make sense, right? Sometimes we need to get a commentary or a group of people around to help us understand some of these intricacies that we find in it because it is a book written a long time ago with cultural relevance to that time. And so we need to take that apart and try to understand what that might mean today. So it does take time. It does take intentionality. 
But if we want to be connected to God, if we want to hear what he says, it begins by reading the word that he gave to us to establish a healthy life for him. But we also know that not only does God speak personally through his word, he also speaks personally directly to us. We see this throughout scriptures from the prophets to those patriarchs that started the whole bit of humanity, right? God spoke to them. He spoke to Adam and Eve. He spoke to John the Baptist. He spoke to all these people through signs and wonders and visions. He spoke to them sometimes in the stillness of their hearts, right? We see all different ways that God directly speaks to people. How do we get there? I have that question all the time. How does God speak to you? You know, I, I talk often about being in the sanctuary at church and just spending hours sometimes where I'm just in God's presence and I'm just sometimes calling out to Him and then other times I'm just pacing and walking and not saying a whole lot and God is just kind of pouring into me. And they ask me, do you have like this conversation with God where like He's audibly speaking to you? And I'm, I've never personally had God audibly speak to me but he speaks inside my heart and he speaks inside my mind how do you know that how do you know it's not your own thoughts friends the, the thoughts that God gives me isn't anything that I can come up with the visions he gives me they're not visions that come naturally to me these are from God that I know we can't even argue about it because there's no way to prove right it's not like I have this telepath right to me from God that I can show you and say here it is but I know in my heart I know in my mind that this is not something that I come up with that's not something that's natural to me God speaks to me he reveals things to me that I don't I don't have the ability to see that's what Jesus modeled for us we, we go back to the beginning of his ministry and he gets done pouring out to these people right away in Mark chapter 1 in verse 35, and what does Jesus model to us before anybody gets up? He is up before the sun rises, and he's spending time with his Father, letting God speak to him. At times, we see Jesus in the garden pouring out his spirit to God and just crying out, God, do something, take this away, I don't want this. And God is comforting him, sending him an angel to minister to him. And then we have examples like David in Psalm 37, 7, where he says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Why? Because he will. God will act. He will. He will speak to you. He will speak to you eventually. There's no rhyme or reason to why sometimes we don't get that connection there are times where I can go for a long period of time where I just don't feel like I had that connection with God, but I still don't stop. I persevere. I go through it. Why? Because I know God will speak. And sometimes maybe I need to go through a season where he's not speaking to me for a variety of reasons, whether there's something in my life that needs to be cleaned up and he's waiting for me to address it, or whether there's times where I just need to have that time so that when he does speak to me again, it is fresh and it's real and it's powerful. There's so many different reasons why God can or maybe does not 
speak to us. But if we're not giving him time, if we're not spending time reading his word, if we're not spending time in his presence just talking to him and letting him talk to us and we're getting away from all the busyness and distractions, if we're not doing that, how is God going to speak? We know he can. We have examples in the Bible where God uses some crazy things, situations where he speaks to people that were being belligerent. But that's not typically the way of God. He's a gentleman, and he's waiting for us to be ready. He wants an honest, real relationship with you, where you're willing to give to him. Well, the last piece that I want to share with you today about becoming obedient or becoming open to the voice of God and getting that relationship established, we want to speak to God. We want Him to speak to us. We do it through word. We do it through time where we're just allowing Him to, to have that conversation with us through prayer. But ultimately, when God speaks, He expects a response. God's going to speak to you. He speaks to you through His word. It's very clear. His word is active. It's alive. It's speaking to you, it's teaching you, it's correcting you. And when it corrects you, and it teaches you, because we all need it, <laughs> right? We need correction. But if God speaks to you, and you turn the other way, eventually, that connection with God will diminish. God wants to speak to you, but if you're not willing to do where he speaks to you. God will feel that. And it influences his favor. I want to give you a very powerful example of that found in Jeremiah. Just a few verses from the one we read before in chapter 6. Jeremiah 7, verses 21. Through 26. God had reached out to his chosen people so much in the Old Testament, and he does it again today. God's character hasn't changed since the Old Testament. He loves his people, but now the difference is, is he's opened up the gateway for all people to be his people, not just some chosen nation, the land of Israel, the people, the Jewish heritage. He cares now for all people, so this still applies to us today. Jeremiah 7, 21. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifice and eat your meat yourselves. That's an indictment. He is hurting. He is saddened. He is angry. He's mourning the loss of his people. So go. You're offering these sacrifices to me. I don't want them no more. Keep them for yourself. They mean nothing to me. But when I brought your ancestors out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak with them or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifice. However, so good, right? He's like, I didn't tell them this is what they need to do to offer me sacrifices. This is what I told them. You guys have made what I asked of my people something that it's not. You turned from what I asked 
you to do. And instead, listen to this. I did give them this command. Obey me, and then I will be your God, and you will be my people. I spoke to you. I asked you to obey what I said, and instead you turned a different way. Obey me. Follow every command so that I may bless you, go with you. That they didn't listen or pay attention, but followed their own advice and their own stubborn, evil heart. They went backward and not forward. Since the day your ancestors came out of the land of Egypt until today, I've sent all my servants, the prophets. What did Jesus say in his passage? I sent my servants over and over and over. You're still rejecting me. And my father who sent me. However, my people wouldn't listen to me or pay attention, but became obstinate. They did more evil than their ancestors. You see, once that path starts and we start going down the path of rejection, it is hard to come back. The land of Israel, the people, the Jewish people rejected God and they, many of them still today, are turning from the one true God, believing in their own thoughts, their own ideas instead of what God said. Rejecting him. Rejecting him. James says this exact same thing in James 1, 22 through 25. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. As if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This is the person who will be blessed in what he does. Blessed. You want that connection with God. You want, we want to hear God's voice. You want to have that intimacy with Him. We all long for that, whether we admit it or not. We long for that intimacy. It begins when we first hear God's voice. We hear what He has to say with, uh, to us, which is, again, foundationally found in God's Word and spending time with Him, allowing Him to speak to us as we speak to Him and then following through and doing what he says. There's no excuse. There's no sidetrack, but, 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 but. This is what creates a vibrant connection with God, a vibrant relationship where he speaks to you and you know exactly what he says and you will respond accordingly. We're not perfect and Jesus understands that and he forgives. And that's how I want to close today. You see, listen to what Jesus says in, in the closing book of the Bible, Revelation 3.20. He calls out, look, I stand at the door and I knock. I've been doing it all along. I've been knocking. Will you 
listen. I'm knocking. It's, it's all over scriptures. I'm speaking to you. Knocking. Will you hear what I say in my word? I spoke to you through times of worship and times of prayer. Will you listen? Will you make time to listen to me? I'm standing here knocking, and you're not opening up the door. Will you open so that I can come in and share a meal together with you as friends? Today, I want you in response to this Get yourself quiet, somewhere removed from all the busyness. Kids, work, TV, the phone, social media, work chores. You need to get away. Silent yourself with God. Open up his word. Read from the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, read from one of those books and listen to what God says to you. He will speak. And if you listen with ears of how do I live this out, Jesus, he will speak to you. Then close your Bible and pray and ask him to give you the strength to be obedient. And for some of you today, I probably need to do this myself in all honesty. I need to get on my knees and pray and ask for forgiveness because I know in my heart there have been times where God has spoken to me and I've been disobedient. And it pains me to think that this God who loved me so much that he would give himself on the cross for me and I would not obey a simple thing that he's asked me to do. I pray that we all would have a heart that longs to listen and be obedient to the voice of Jesus. Father, I pray for every person listening. I pray for myself. God, we, we need to spend time with you. There's Never enough time in the day to do that. So, Father, I pray that we would we'd cut the excuses and do what we know is right, even when it's not easy, even when it doesn't seem like you've spoken to us for a long time, that we would not give up and that we would expect that you will speak. And for every single one of us, I also pray, God, that those areas in your life where you've spoken to us and we haven't obeyed, I pray for your forgiveness. I admit I myself have been a culprit of that. Forgive and help us again when you speak to us to follow through with those things that you ask. You will give us strength, I believe, and I know, to do exactly what you call us to. Remind us of that when that moment comes and the enemy wants to say, no, you can't. You don't have enough. You're not good enough put those lies aside and I pray your Holy Spirit will give us the wisdom and the strength to do what you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today, Nexus Church family, and we'll see you again real soon.